0: Good morning. Good, morning. good morning. What me and Zad were talking about just then, he said, "If that won't light your fire, your wood's wet." And I said, "That'll even light wet wood right there." <laughs> That's good stuff. That the the God of the universe, the very Creator, would come and would be wrapped in fragile flesh and would know our pains, would know the things that we think would empathize with us and then die and drink that bitter cup that you and I caused to be in in the first place. It was our problem and He dealt with it. Not only did He deal with it, He made it no longer our problem. He killed it. He killed it. When He died with the cross, He nailed our sins. The, the very nails that drove His arms into the wood were the very nails that ended our sin problem. We may have, to, we may still have to deal with it in this life, but we do not have to deal with the eternal consequences of what it has to bring. Now, because of that, baby, because of Christ becoming incarnate, because of the Word taking on flesh, we no longer have to deal with our sin problem and deal with the, the, the consequences of that because He drank that cup. So, I'm going to try and be brief this morning. I know we've had lot of good singing and you would probably much rather hear them sing more than you would hear me stand up there and talk to you, but I'm going to stand up here and talk to you anyway. Um, Like I said, we'll, we'll try and be brief, but where we're going to start out at, I hope you all have a Merry Christmas as well. No matter if you didn't get anything or if you did get anything, we have salvation and that's the greatest gift ever. So it doesn't matter about the material garbage that we see, it's all going to burn up one day, but salvation doesn't. So we're going to start out, and uh, what we're going to do is we're going to look. We're going to look at Jesus coming. We're going to look at Him dying. We're going to look at Him resurrecting, and then we're going to look at what the Christmas story applies to us in today's time, in real time. Us, how it applies to you and me. And so, to start out, I'm going to read the Christmas story uh, out of Luke chapter two, verses one through twenty, and I'm going to read it out of the King James just because I think the way that the King James reads this passage is just so poetic and it's beautiful the way that it's uh, laid out here. So um, we're going to start in verse 1 and we're going to go all the way to verse 20. And the word of God says, And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And this taxing was the first was first made when Serenius was governor of Syria, And this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass that the angels were gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the sayings which was told them concerning this child. And they and all they had that heard it wondered at those things which were told uh, them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and pondered or kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, as it was told to them. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Father, I pray that as we uh, move in to this lesson, God, I pray that you would show us what you want to show us, God, and that we would have that awe, that you would come and become one of us, God, and save the unsavable. God, that you would save a creation that spat in your face, God, and that you loved us so much, that you became incarnate and died for our sins. Apply this to our hearts and lives so that we never lose that awe of who you are. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Now, thousands of years of prophecy culminated to this very day. What we just read, thousands of years of prophecy culminated in that one point. The, the line of humanity was dark black, ridden with sin from the very beginning up until this point, but it was at this point that light interjected and entered the scene because God incarnate had become one of us and had come to fulfill the prophecy that took place in Genesis chapter 3. And I imagine, though, that all of creation stood still as the Creator was finally interjected into humanity, even if He was surrounded by farm animals or Whatever it was, everything—the trees, the stars, everything that He breathed into creation—I have to imagine stood still for a moment and looked with awe that their Creator was so small now, that He was born wrapped in the very flesh of a human being. I imagine it just had to sit back in, in awe that the, that He had come. He had come. Now. When it says uh, it says peace on earth, this what I wanted to talk about here. I know this is kind of like just interjecting in this, but when it's talking about this peace on earth, it's not necessarily talking about peace between mankind, right? Yeah. Obviously, we see that, right? There's wars that happen. It's it's not peace between you and I. Although Jesus Christ does bring peace between you and I, and eventually one day we will have peace when He comes back. But what this is talking about is peace between a judge and the people that He's judging. Now, God, there is no there is no judgment to be poured out on us. God, we, at, we are at peace with God today because Jesus Christ, because God Himself sacrificed Himself on our part. So that now God no longer looks at us as objects to be judged, but He looks at us as objects to be loved, as people to be loved, as His children because of what His Son did. Amen. Thank you, Lord. And he did not come as Israel expected, right? He did not come with a flaming sword, although he's coming back. And it will be the way that they expected him to come the first time. And it will not not be like they thought. But he did not come initially as they thought he was to come. We talked about that in our Sunday school lesson last week. That In fact, they rejected him because he came in a lowly manner, right? I mean, he was put in a feeding trough as a child. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes and put in a feeding trough. He wasn't born into this big palace surrounded by gold and surrounded by people. In fact, the first people to see him, other than his parents, according to the Bible, were shepherds. And shepherds were not high-class folks, guys. They were probably some of the lowest people because they lived out with their sheep. They probably smelled, as you can imagine, like sheep and outside. They did not smell good. They were not wealthy People and they were the first ones to see the incarnate Savior. This shows no favoritism, right? Right. He didn't come for the rich. He didn't come for the poor. He came for everybody. He didn't come for just one sect. He didn't just come for the Jews. He didn't just come for the Gentiles. He came for all who would believe in Him. Amen. That's right. (coughs) The Deliverer is made manifest in frail humanity. He came... To have a relationship with us. He came to have a relationship. With you and me. Now it says in John 21.25. That. Um, did While he was on earth. The world could not contain it. Right. I can't help but. Seeing that video that Zad did. On Wednesday night. That John Popper read. About the innkeeper. I mean, that's really good. Now, obviously, that's not written down anywhere, right? But it's just, who's to say it didn't happen, right? So I can't help but imagine Jesus with the disciples. You know, maybe it's like a summer evening in Jerusalem somewhere. They're out on a hillside, and the sun's setting, and the stars are coming up, and as you get a group of any men together, what do they do? They talk about the weather, right? That's one thing that has to come up. When you're in a group of you got to talk about the weather, right? Well, they talk about how pretty the stars are that night, how, how many there are. They talk about how nice the weather is that evening or how nice the weather's been that day. All the while, Jesus is sitting there with them. The very one who, when they're looking at the stars, knows the exact temperature at which that star burns. He breathed that into existence. He knows when that star would collapse in on itself and become a supernova. He knows he the very one that they're talking to right now about the weather is the one that is keeping the earth on its rotation around the sun that made this planet just perfect enough to have life and sustain it, right? He keeps the earth in orbit, right? He was the one who made the moon, who the, the one who is controlling the tides and how that reacts. The one who is keeping the atmosphere around earth well enough to sustain our lives as well for us to breathe oxygen. The very one who is, who is controlling the white blood cells for a scratch on one of the disciples' arms that's healing, He knows every bit of that and He's sustaining all of that and He created all of that And he's like, the weather's nice tonight, isn't it, guys? (laughs) Right? He came to have that relationship with us. He didn't just dump on them that he was, you know, oh, I created that, let me tell you about the temperature and all this. No, he's like, yeah, it is pretty nice out here tonight, guys. The very one who created everything wanted a relationship with people, wanted to know them and to be with them. He is so big that He created everything, yet He talks to humanity on a personal level. The very God that breathed creation into existence talked to the disciples on a personal level and now talks to you and I on a personal level. Yeah. The very, we do not deserve that. We do not deserve the God of this universe communi- communicating with us at all. It's like Randy said, He should have smoked us where we stood at, right? But He didn't. He came and he wanted a relationship with us, and he gave himself up for that relationship to be restored back together. This is the Christmas story. This is the Christmas story, and what we have to celebrate in the Savior coming. Amen. Now, let's look at Matthew. We're going to go to Matthew chapter 27, and we're going to start out in verse 33. Matthew chapter 27, we We'll start at verse 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over them there. And above his head, they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. Those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down. In our plays, as he walks across here and mocks Jesus, uh, not... Associate you with that, but that's just what I <laughs> just want to. As growing up as a child, that's always what Bill Duncan played, and so when I read that, that's what I think about. It. It's pretty awesome. Um, in the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and elders, were mocking him and saying, "He saved others; he cannot save himself. He's the king of the. He's king of Israel. Let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he's if he delights in him for." he said i am the son of god the robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words now from the sixth hour of darkness now the, from the sixth hour of darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour and about the ninth hour jesus cried out with a loud voice saying eli eli lama sabachthani that is my god my god why have you forsaken me and some of those who were standing there when they had heard it began saying this man is calling for elijah Immediately one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come uh, to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom." And the earth shook and the rocks were split. That's amazing. it was from top and this thing was huge. Right. This veil was massive. And it ripped from the very top of it to the bottom, meaning no man could have ripped that. That's right. So Jesus Christ, when he died, opened up that channel between us and the Holy of Holies. That's good. Right? Amen. And Jesus cried out, that's a sermon for itself. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice, and he will up the veil. The tombs were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. Imagine how crazy that was. And coming out of the tombs, after his resurrection, they entered the holy city and appeared to many. Now the centurion and those who were with him, keeping guard over Jesus, when they saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, became very frightened and said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Many women were there uh, looking from a distance who had followed him from Galilee while ministering to him. Among them was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, the mother of the sons of Zebedee. Now, we're going to skip this part. This is where Jesus is buried. Uh, Joseph Arimathea comes, takes him, puts him in the tomb. Uh, Chapter 28, verse 1. Now, after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave and behold a severe earthquake had occurred for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it and his appearance was like lightning and his clothes were as white as snow so the angels are like lightning they're dressed in lightning imagine what Jesus Christ looks like that's why they say he is the light of that city right if they look like lightning he's blowing it out of the waters the sun he looks like the sun Uh, The guards shook for fear of Him and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who is crucified. Here we go. He is not here, for He has risen. Just as He said, come and see the place where He was lying. Go quickly and tell His disciples that He is risen from the dead. And behold, He is going ahead of you into Galilee, and there you will see Him behold, I have told you. And they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to report it to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and they took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and take my word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they will see me. Here we see the the crucifixion and the resurrection. This verse, these verses, tell us the reason of why Jesus came. This is the reason why Christmas is celebrated at all. uh, At all is because Jesus came to redeem that which was lost. He came to live a perfect life. He died a perfect death, and he did not stay dead. He did not stay dead because the grave could not hold the King, and he walked out again, sealing our salvation and sealing. Well, our salvation. about it, isn't it? Sealing our salvation. Victory. That's the word I was looking for. And sealing our victory. Jesus came to bridge the divide that you and I could not. In the garden, there was an eternal divide created from Adam. And don't, Get me with that. It, it was our it was our faith. We were in the garden. We would have done the exact same thing. It was our fault. We caused an eternal divide between us and the Father because we wanted to do what we wanted to do instead of what God had instructed us and in doing so created a, a, a divide between us. Right? And Jesus came to bridge that divide and restore us back to the Father. Amen. Now, Amen. talking about the cross, Paul Washer... Has it's a video of him talking about the cross, and it's very good. It's kind of what Randy hinted at a little bit today in Sunday school as well. A lot of people see the cross as like a picture of love, right? And in a sense, that's true. That it is, it, in in a sense, that's true. But the cross is a picture of how depraved you and I truly are. Right. The cross is a picture of how bad you and I truly are. How much you and I truly hate, hated. God, That is the very picture of the cross that it took the creator himself to become manifest and die for our sins. The very one who created everything, that's what it took. It took his life to pay for my sins and to pay for your sins. And guess what? He did it. He did it freely. He did that freely, but the cross is not a picture uh, of love as we see it. It is is a picture of love, but it is a picture of how depraved you and I truly are. So if anybody who ever claims to be anything short of a Christian says that humans are basically good, point them to the cross because they need to look no further because it took us nailing our Creator to a cross to atone for our sins. That's what it took. It took death. It took His death. The fullness of our sin was displayed that day when Christ took the punishment that was rightfully ours. That is the fullness, that is the peak sin of humanity. All of it right there. That's where it culminated to. And he took that. That is the fullness of it. Because we snuffed out the light. But, But we didn't. But he did not stay dead, did he? He didn't stay dead. Why? Because He's more powerful than our sin. Yeah, our sin, He might have went to the cross and it might have displayed our sin, but He proved that He is more powerful than our sin. The King arose and the armies of heaven roared and creation cried out in praise. Why? Because death could not hold the King. Sin could not hold the King. Satan tried and he was found not powerful enough to hold down the Creator of the universe. And it shows that He sacrificed Himself. It wasn't that somebody else did. He did that in His own power, and He got up out of the grave by His own power. And that power that that I'm talking about is inside of you and me today if we believe in Jesus Christ. It's the whole reason for Christmas. The whole reason for Christmas is Him coming and Him walking out of that tomb. Because Christmas would have no meaning if He did not resurrect. Any of these holidays would have no meaning if He did not get out of the grave. That's right. Everything hinges on His resurrection. Yeah, He could have died if He didn't resurrect. He was no more than a religious fanatic. But He wasn't. He rose again and proved that He is the fullness of deity of God. that that dwelled in human form. He proved that when He got up out of the grave that third day. In rising again, He proved that He was more powerful than death, but He also made it possible for us to be reconciled to God. We no longer had to cover our sins. He covered them once and for all. So now that we we are restored back to a relationship as though we did not sin in the first place. Because He sees us through His Son and no longer through our sin. Now God doesn't see us as people to judge, but people of perfection because of Jesus, because of His blood. This is the Christmas story. Mm -hmm. That we are no longer seen as black, nasty, Mm -hmm. sinful human beings, but we are seen through the lens of the the red blood that that ran that day on Calvary. And we are seen through His perfect righteousness. Now, we're going to move in to Colossians, which is where we'll spend the rest of our time. And I'm going to try and hurry, I promise. Um, Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be going through verses 8 through 15. And really what's been happening here, just to give you a little context of what's going on, Paul is dealing with some like Judaizers and also some pagan worship that's happening uh, in Colossae at this time that he's writing this, and that's what we'll get into when he's saying all of this. He's saying it for a reason, and he's addressing that, but it also applies to what we're talking about as well. So, uh, verse eight: See to it that no one takes you. Uh, captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ basically what he's saying don't listen to ideologies of man because they're not good Mm. Um, the only good thing is Jesus Christ and that's all we need to listen to it's been proven for thousands and thousands of years the scriptures are reliable no matter what somebody tries to tell you this is a reliable text More reliable probably than we realize, but it's extremely reliable. So listen to this, because this has withstood so many attempts to try and bring it down, so many ideologies of man when he's talking at philosophy. Rid the world of this, and it never has worked, right? Why? Because this is true, and that other stuff is garbage. (laughs) Pretty simple. Um, Verse 9, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. So, what's happening here, and what, why he's addressing this, is in Colossae at the time, these people believed that they were like rungs of deity. So, you had like one person that was deified, and then you'd have another rung, and they were less deified than that person, and it just kind of worked its way down, right? Well, Paul, what Paul is addressing here, and this was in a, a John MacArthur commentary, Paul is saying that the nature of God continually abode in Jesus, The very nature, the very spirit of God, God the Father, dwelled in Jesus Christ. He is God incarnate. He is not some lower level on the the food chain or the ladder than God is. No, He is God Almighty. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ is God incarnate. The Word incarnate. So any of these empty philosophies that that would tell you that Jesus was just a good man or that it's heresy. It's heresy, and it will lead you to hell. Because Amen. Jesus Christ is God. Because if we don't see Him as God, then His sacrifice is meaningless. His sacrifice cannot atone for our sins if He was not God. Amen. Because He was the only one that could live perfect. Jesus was God incarnate. Verse 10, well, 10-12. through 12, uh, And in Him you have been made complete, and He is the head over all rule and authority. That's also addressing some of these... Judaizers saying you can't eat this and you can't eat that, situations like that. Um, and in him you've been made complete, and he is the head over all of rule and authority. And in him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, in the removal of the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, verse 10. Um, if we believe on Him, we are made complete. We lack nothing now. If you and I believe in Christ, we lack nothing. Now, you may say, what about my math skills? They're pretty lacking. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about righteousness. Righteousness. We do not lack anything for righteousness any longer. Right? We were lacking. Why? Because we could not attain it ourselves. We could try and we could try and we could try. That's what the the Judy yeah Juda yeah. continued to try there was a workspace thing that talks about that in Romans 910 somewhere around in there. to attain righteousness, but now through Jesus Christ we are made 100% complete and 100% righteousness lacking nothing. So there is no need for us to work towards salvation. We work from salvation. We've been given everything and now we're going to go share it, about it. And we're going to live our lives glorifying to the Father because we've been given everything. We lack nothing any longer, guys. Yeah. Amen. Jesus has made us whole. Jesus has made us whole. Yeah. Moving on. Verse 11. Paul says we are circumcised through Christ. Yeah. Circumcised through Christ. So to not get too into that. It's the removal of the flesh. Right? So basically what Paul is saying is that Jesus Christ has removed the The power and dominion of our flesh now. Yeah, we still have to deal with it for a little while until we get to heaven. But he has removed the power and the dominion over it now. So if it does have power and dominion over us, it is by our own choice. Because God has given us the ability to overcome that in Jesus Christ. So he has cut off our flesh so that we no longer have to deal with it. Mm. We now live... In complete victory. So just as we have complete righteousness, we also have complete victory in jesus christ lacking nothing that's a that's great yeah that's great that we we don't lack anything we don't have to run after other things to try and suffice and fill in what we lack in our religion right we have jesus christ so we long for nothing now we have that's what paul is talking about i know what it is to be content why because it doesn't matter the material garbage that we have if we have Christ. That's all that matters. And the rest of that's just an afterthought, right? Amen. We have been made complete. So what does it matter, the car that we drive or the home that we live in or the job that we have? Yeah. It doesn't. I mean, it does, obviously, for paying for your family and keeping for your family. But in the end, it doesn't matter because we have Jesus Christ. That's what's most important. That's the Christmas story that we live in victory now because our sinful flesh has been cut off. Verse 12. 12 having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised up with Him through faith in the working of God who raised Him from the dead. We have died with Christ and are raised with Him because of His resurrection. Our baptisms, that's an outward sign of what happened inwardly, right? We go under in death, but Jesus Christ, through what it says here, uh, through faith in the working of God, the work that God did in bringing Jesus back to life, he has done the very same thing for you and me. We were dead, but He has brought us back to life through His power and through His Son. Amen. The Christmas story. Right. I want to continue to say that. it is. This is the Christmas story. This is because it's all the Christmas story. It all hinges around Him saving the unsavable, as that song says. Mm-hmm. Saving the unsavable. That's what the Christmas story is, man. <coughs> now, verse 13. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, He made you alive together with Him, having forgiven us some of our transgressions. Every last one of them. Do you know what that extends to? That extends until you take your last breath on earth. God has forgiven you of every single one of them. That's how far-reaching and how powerful the blood of Jesus Christ is is that it covers an eternity's worth of humanity's sins. That's why He has to be God, right? That's why Jesus Christ has to be God because man's blood can't cover that. But the blood of the Creator, the blood of the perfect Son of God can cover that and does cover that if you are in Him. So we don't have to live beat down by our sins. We've been given victory over that and we are forgiven of it. Now, it's not obviously a license to go on sinning. I mean, Paul says, God forbid, right? One of the most powerful, if not the most powerful negative in the Bible. He's saying, no, you know, God forbid that to happen, right? Because it's going to push us to live more like him. But we've been given victory over our sins and we've been forgiven of them. Now, verse 14, this is the one that I wanted to hit on and we'll spend the rest of our time here. I don't even know how long I've gone. It's all right. Um, Yeah, you're here. So, I've got you. <laughs> you can't go nowhere. Uh, verse 14. Having canceled out the certificate of debt, consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. I imagine Paul, like, throwing a candlestick, you know, like, woo! You know, whenever he writes this down. This is awesome, right? This is amazing. This is the gospel in one verse. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having what? Nailed it to the cross. It's dead now. It's dead. You and I had a legal document that decreed we were guilty. Would you like to know what that legal document is? The law. The law. So, here, this is what, we'll look at it this way. So, we're in a courtroom, right? God the Father is on the stand as the judge. The prosecution is the law. And the pros- what does the prosecution do? He brings in a witness, right? What is that witness? That it's sin. It is sin. It is your actions of trespassing against the law and bringing it to the stand. And your, your sin sits on the stand and decrees against you and cries against you every single wrong that you've ever done in your lifetime. So it sits on the stand. It says, Zad, you've lied. Zad, you've cheated. Zad, you've stealed. Jesse, you've lied. You've cheated. You've stilled. It continues to decree and to cry against you. But what does Jesus do? Jesus is the great defense. He says, I'll take it. Jesus stands. So every time that sin says he's got to die because he lied, he's got to die because he was hatred, he's got to die for this, Jesus says, I'll take it. Every single time, Jesus says, I'll take it. It's mine. I'll take it. It's mine. I will take it because he or she is mine. He takes every sin that decrees against us and nailed it to the cross so that we no longer have to deal with it. We no longer have to suffer the consequences because God the Father says, I am satisfied with that sacrifice. I am satisfied with that sacrifice. And what did God do? He poured out His wrath on His Son that should have been mine. He poured His wrath out on His only Son that should have been Mine. And God the Father stands up, slams the gavel down and says, You're innocent now because of what He has done. This, ladies and gentlemen, is Christmas. Amen. Amen. This is Christmas that we get to leave the courtroom of God's judgment scot-free because someone took our penalty. Amen. Thank you <coughs> Amen. Christ's blood now cries innocent. He's innocent. He's innocent. He's innocent. He is innocent. You, she is innocent. And not only that, we came in an enemy and because of Jesus Christ taken our sin and our punishment, God no, just, doesn't just say you're innocent, but He says you're mine now. That's yeah. right. You are my child. You have been grafted into my family because of my Son's sacrifice. That's right. Thank you, Lord. This, guys, is the Christmas story, and this is something that we have to take with us, no matter where we go, no matter what holiday it is. Everything is contingent upon Jesus Christ getting up out of the grave and us being covered in His blood and being seen as perfect and righteous before the Father today. Amen. So if our Christmas is anything different than that, we've missed it. We've missed it. It's not just about Jesus coming as a baby. Although, yeah, that's great. And we need to to pray. But it's about Him dying and rising again and taking what we owe God on Himself now verse 15 this is where we end up i know y'all are hungry uh i'll have to mention food because that always mentions food. um verse 15 when he had disarmed the rulers and the authorities he made a public display of them having triumphed over them through him and so when i read this i was like i wonder what that is and got into looking and Rulers and authorities is like demons. So he's talking about Satan and the principalities and powers of the air. That's the same thing. So he's talking about demons. So Christ fulfilled the prophecy in Genesis three, right? When Jesus Christ resurrected, he stomped the head of the serpent. So the serpent no longer has any power. Yeah, it bruised his heel for a little while, but when he got back up, he crushed that head for him, right? So he no longer has any power. And what this is talking about when it says uh, disarm the rulers and make or he made a public display of them. In context, it's like when Rome would go conquer somebody or go to war, they would bring back the prisoners of war and they would parade them through the cities and make a public display of basically shaming them. And so what God has done, what Paul is saying, is God has made a public display of Satan and his his army who thought they, they were going to get the upper hand on God when they left heaven, right? He has made a public display of them with Jesus at the forefront walking through and everybody now can see how powerless they are, that they lost the battle that they thought that they had won. He parades Amen. them around and he shames them saying, you don't have any more power here. You have no power here. Amen. Thank you, Lord. So, with that, so we go from the birth to the death to the resurrection and to what that is, is the Christmas story. This is the Christmas story that God would come, would give his son, and would sacrifice himself to make a people who didn't even want him in the first place back to him. It shouldn't happen. It's unbelievable. It's like that song said it is unbelievable. It's inconceivable. But he did it. He did it. He did it what? For his glory? And so we would have peace. Peace on earth. For glory and peace. So we'd have peace between him and the Father. Let us always remember that. Amen. And don't ever take that for granted. Remember the true meaning of Christmas. The true meaning of Christmas. That you're depraved and now you're no longer. Because of what God has done for you. Amen. Oh, stand and we'll sing. (laughs)